Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Everyone's finding their seats. Thank you so much for joining with us this morning, and thank you for those of you who are watching us online. Um, we are going to stand, and we are going to worship Jesus. One of the things that we love in this house is that we know that the Lord speaks to his body, and if you have a picture or a word or a scripture that you feel like the Lord has given you for the body, we'll have overseeing elders up at the front if you would just come and let us know, and we will be glad to administrate that. And um, this morning as we go into worship, one of the things that we um, really sense this morning during our prayer is just how the Lord is our portion. And so He has provided all things that we need that pertain to life and godliness in this life now. So this morning, we are here to turn our heart's affection towards the Lord and to love on Him and to worship Him because He's worthy of us praising Him. So will you stand with me as we worship and we um, pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain because you had a plan and a purpose to restore us to what had been broken, which was relationship with you. So, Father, we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you have sourced us. You are our source. You are our portion, Lord. That the strength of my heart is found in you, Lord. The strength of our hearts is found in you and in your goodness towards us, Lord. We worship you, Lord, and we open up our hearts to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Thank you, Lord, that love cast out perfect love, the perfect love of a father, of a good, good father, cast out all fear. Lord, thank you that fear is not our future. Sickness is not the story because of Jesus. Lord, and that the grave is not the end because he rose again. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, King Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your presence among us this morning. We bless you and we honor you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Bless you. We're glad that you're joining us this morning. If you're a guest and you're new with us, um, if you would go to dothancf.com, do the connection card, click on new here. We'd love to hear a little bit about your story and how your story would intersect with ours. Um, and we have launched our community groups this last week, and uh, we are doing Gifts of the Spirit. And so in those community groups, it's a safe place to learn how to operate, how to understand, how to grow more. All of us can grow no matter where we are. So wherever you are in your journey, if you've been a Christian for about 30 seconds or if you've been a Christian for 40 years, there's always more to grow and to know and to learn in the Lord and he wants us to actually utilize the gifts that he's given us to actually expand the kingdom so that his kingdom has domain in our influence, in our sphere, in our world around us. So we have one this afternoon. It's going to be at 1 o'clock right here at DCF. There's also one Mondays and Thursday nights. You can find all the details at dothancf.com. 
There's also, this is a place to just grow in community and to get to know one another and to have fun and uh, just, if you're new, we say you're a guest once and then you become family. So um, we would love for you to be a part of that and participate, y'all. And for ladies, mark September the 15th, we're going to be doing our launch of the fall, um, just ladies time. It's called Thrive. It's going to be at 7 o'clock here at DCF on the 15th of September. We'd love for you to come. Grab some ladies, bring them. Registration is required online, please, so we know how to plan for that. And the cost is going to be $10. You can pay between now and then just here. You can give it to me, or you can pay at the door when you come that evening. So um, our membership classes are going to be in September as well. If you're new with us, or maybe you've been attending DCF for a few months, but you're not really actually a member, we would love for you to get to know a little bit about us, of who we are, what are our beliefs, um, what do we love, and what makes us unique about our um, particular church. Every local church has things that it loves and that the Lord has kind of stamped and put his fingerprint on, and um, so we would love for you to know a little bit more about who we are, and then we have two membership classes after that. We kind of call that one like, who are these people? Do I want, is this my tribe, or do I need to go find another tribe, you know, kind of thing, and it's okay. We've got lots of life-giving churches in our city, so we celebrate them as well. But if you want to be a member at DCF, we'd like for you to know what can you expect from a leadership team and then what is expected from from you as a member. And so we'll be going over those things in those classes. You can sign up for those on our website as well. We want to make sure that you're um, fully aware and informed of being a member with us. Um, There's lots of different ways to give in person in the box up front. Also, DothanCF.com on our website. And we're going to dismiss our youth and our kids at this time. And David's going to come back with a message for us. All right. Good morning, everybody. We um, have been in a series for the last several weeks on um, first things first. And the, the scripture I started out with was, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. And so we've been kind of going after that about sometimes we think uh, one thing is first and we get involved in it, we get focused on it. And then we realize scripture comes and teaches us actually before you get to that, there's some prerequisites. There's some things that you ought to do before you do this. And so we've been talking about that in different ways. And today we're going to be talking about um, generous giving. And so how that works into first time uh, or first things first, um, you're going to see in just a minute. But the uh, Bible talked about first fruits. And, and uh, when we go back to Israel, we're going to talk about this in just a second about how when they would give, they would give from the produce of the land. So they were, uh, it was a, uh, a farming culture, obviously. Um, just 100 years ago in the, the modern world, 100 years ago, 98% of people were farmers. Um, now it's 2%. <laughs> so it uh, just goes to show you how far technology has come. But also it, it reminds us that um, farming has been important for thousands and thousands of years. And it, although we take it for granted, we go to the grocery store and we purchase food um, all we're doing is we're just exchanging time for something else. That, you know, that's what money is, exchanging time for something of value. And farmers did it by exchanging most of their time <laughs> for something of value, which was food. Um, but we've been talking about this for a while. And one reason why we go after this um, about, about giving is in our membership class, we talk about expectations. Karen's mentioned that before. And so when we do our membership class, we talk about the expectations that you should have towards us as a leadership team. But one of the things we talk about is, you know, we have one requirement as a member at DCF, and that's salvation experience, following Jesus as your rabbi, according to Scripture. Not your version 
of what discipleship looks like, but Scripture's version. So that's the one requirement. Everything else is an expectation. And the, and the point is, is, you know, when you first get saved, you're a baby in Christ, and the expectation is as you grow, you begin to take on maturity, and those things matter. And so one of those expectations is generous giving. And so I did a series on uh, indicatives and imperatives in, in talking about in the Greek and uh, it's just a way to describe certain words, words in, in the original language of the Bible, one of the original languages of the Bible. <clears throat> and what it talks about is in the New Covenant, um, God never commands you to do something, that's an imperative, without giving you the ability to do it, which was the indicative. So it's always um, because God has blessed you, you can give, right? Um, because he, Jesus has changed your heart, you can forgive. So it's always these, these, this connection between the two. So as we do membership class, we go after that expectation. Um, but one of the things you find in our world is there's, there's a lot of tension in regards to, to money, especially when the church talks about it or the government talks about it, so like taxes, those kind of things. But any big organization, um, money becomes a, a, a dangerous subject. Um, most people who are believers, it, this has been my experience, they don't really know much about giving. They were taught something in the early days of their salvation experience uh, about tithing, about giving a 10%, and so they either did it or didn't do it, and there's a struggle sometimes in, in that and what it looks like. Um, but, but most people don't know how much to give in the, new, in the New Testament giving, New Covenant giving. They don't know how much to give. They don't know how often. Um, some churches, like I said, say you should give 10% of your income. Uh, others um, pledge money that you don't have in order to obligate God to provide more. <laughs> that happens often. Um, some people or some churches don't teach about money at all. Um, and so there's, there's this whole wide spectrum of how, how churches handle money. So what we want to do is we want to go after money because it has been abused, because churches have taken advantage and you know, ministries have taken advantage in a certain way. We want to go after that in a big way. And, and here's why. When it comes to money abuse, the cure for wrong use isn't no use. In other words, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. The cure for wrong use is right use. And that, that seems like common sense, <laughs> but so often it, it's not as common as you would like it to be. So I'm going to warn you up front, I have an agenda. Um, anybody who tells you they don't have an agenda has an agenda, and it's dangerous, just so you know, that's how the world works. Um, but I have an agenda. My agenda, one of the goals is to get you into generous giving. Not because you're going to bless us, although that's obviously a side effect of, of your giving, is you bless this church and bless the ministry of this church. We have um, greater ability to serve and bless and also have impact into our city and our region and reach people for Jesus. That, of course, is what's going to happen. But the biggest thing is it does something to you when you learn about giving in the New, in the new Covenant. Um, money has a way of affecting you whether you like it or not good ways or bad ways. Some people have a great relationship with money. Some people have a terrible relationship with money. Jesus actually talked about money more than anything else, according to some uh, commentators. Um, um, and the two things that we often don't talk about in the church that Jesus talked about, well, one thing primarily is money. The other thing is sex. We don't talk about that. But I don't know if you guys know this or not, but, but God actually invented sex. So we used to go after that in a big way in our youth ministry. Not too much detail, but, <laughs> but we would challenge them. It's like, that's not a non-subject, so make sure you're having conversations with your parents and, and leaders about that. So we have two choices when it comes to money. One is we can face the, set, the subject head on. We can go after it, and we can say, here's Scripture. This, this is what Scripture says, and we let Scripture dictate our theology and our attitudes toward money. Or secondly, we can just take a blind eye to it and go, I hope what I'm doing is good enough. 
<laughs> right? And so those are the two things that are the two ways we're going to go after it or could go after it. I'm going to go after it head on. So let's just jump right in. So basically in Scripture, there's two types of giving. So before I jump into that, let me say this. I'm going to throw a lot of information at you today. Okay, so I've got a, the PDF, what you see on the screen up here. I've got scripture references. Some of this stuff I'm going to gloss over. Literally, this is a, ser- a six-part series that you could do on all of this and go into tremendous detail about why these things matter. We just don't have the time to do that. So I'm just going to go after it pretty quick. So if, if you promise to listen fast, we'll get through this and, and get to lunch at a decent time, all right? So uh, first thing is um, just uh, Old Testament giving. There's two types, Old Testament and New Testament. So to understand that, the best way to understand that is to understand the new, or, and, the new and the old covenant and, and the fundamental difference between the two. So the, the law of first mention, we've been talking about this during this, uh, this series, the law of first, first mention is to go back to the first time a subject or, or, or an agenda is mentioned in Scripture and see what the Bible says to it and then follow that thread throughout of all of Scripture and it'll help you understand. So the first time that uh, the new covenant, the word new covenant is mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. So I'm just going to read this passage. This is a promise from a prophet to something more than what they've had. They were failing miserably in Israel and he was promising something from the Lord for the future. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant, that's that first mention, with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. That's really, really important because so often we take the new covenant and we try to live in the new covenant based on the rules of the old covenant. And Jesus, uh, Jesus goes after that in a big way. Paul just takes you know, book after book and goes after that. But the prophets promise this old covenant was here for a reason. It has a purpose, but it's not the end. There's something else that's coming. And so he says um, this new covenant is going to be different than the one that came before it. He said, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So there's, there's nothing wrong with the old covenant. Um, it's just not finished. And we're going to get into that, uh, especially next week. But here's what's re- really interesting. Jeremiah 31 is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8, and it's actually, it's the longest, um, it's the longest Old Testament, full Old Testament quote in the New Testament. And it goes on for several verses, and I'm not going to read them all, but um, it's, it's uh, Hebrews chapter 8. The writer of Hebrews is going after this concept about the old covenant versus the new. And so a big part of Hebrews is that Jesus is, which Jesus is the, is the one who gives us the new covenant. Jesus is superior to the angels. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to Moses and the law. He goes after this in a big way. So verse 6, he says Jesus is a priest as a priest, is superior to the Old Testament priesthood. He talks about the new covenant is better than the old, and it's based on better promises. And we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. Verse 7 says, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. In other words, if if the old covenant was okay, there's no need for the new covenant. But we got a new covenant, which says something about the old covenant, and he goes after that big time. Verse 8, he said, There's nothing wrong with the covenant, but God found fault with the people. So the covenant was perfect. The people were imperfect. That was the problem that the new covenant is going to fix, right? Uh, Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the whole idea behind the law was to show you that you couldn't follow the law, (laughs) right? And so there's way more to it, but that's one of the big parts that comes out in Galatians 3. 
if you're trying to be justified by your works and God's showing you that's not possible, so something needs to change internally so that you can be justified, justified by faith. Believing something about God is what actually justifies you. You get a gift of righteousness because you believe in what Jesus did on the cross and paying for your sin. Or you can have uh, self-righteousness, which is you trying to do it in your own strength. Verse 9, he said, it will absolutely not be like the covenant he made before. It's important. Verse 10, he says, this is the covenant I'll establish with the people of Israel. So now he's talking about the new covenant. He says, I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Here's the difference. Um, In the old covenant, it was an outward law with no changed heart. It was written on stones, so it was outside trying to change the inside. The new covenant is written, the Bible says in Jeremiah, and then repeats it, and then the whole New Testament is about that, that the new covenant will be written on our hearts and our minds. In other words, it's something, it's, it's internal. It's an internal drive that's based now on an intimate relationship with God. All my sin has been taken away with what Jesus did on the cross. And now there's nothing in the way of me having a relationship with God. And so we're going to get into that more and more in the, in the, uh, in the next uh, session next week. But the reason why this is important is if you think that you give the same way from the old covenant, then you will give um, according to a covenant that has been done away with. So you will, you will follow money rules based on something that is no longer valid. And so that's why this is so important. So let's talk about old covenant giving. So before the law, you hear this. If anybody ever heard a message on giving in church world? Anybody, raise your hand if you heard one before. You ever heard like a whole series on it? Was it mostly about tithing? Raise your hand if it was mostly about tithing, right? And, and that was my experience too. I was taught that in Bible college. In the early days of ministry, I taught tithing. This is something I always taught. And then I started reading the Bible. And I got myself in trouble. (laughs) So we're going to go after that. Like I said, I'm going to go after it head on. And if you have questions about this, I'm happy to entertain the questions. Um, I'd love to hear your heart. If you have a different perspective on this, see me after the service. Let's talk about it. Uh, You know, I'm not trying to beat anybody up about something you've been doing that maybe you've been doing wrong. In, in In any sense, I would never do that because my challenge isn't to try to judge you in any form or fashion, my, my job, the Bible says, is to equip the saints for the work of their ministry. So my job and my heart is to help you walk into the fullness of your inheritance. And I believe in so many ways this is what um, this is what this is about. So um, God reveals himself before the law, before, um, before tithing was ever put into place. He reveals himself um, as the provider. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but Genesis 22 Abraham is going up the mountain. He's taking Isaac. He's going to sacrifice Isaac, but Isaac doesn't know that he's going to sacrifice Isaac. He's just been told that there's going to be a sacrifice. So as, as they're going up the mountain, um, Isaac, being a really smart young man, says, uh, Father, where's the sacrifice? Anybody remember what he said? Isaac, you're the sacrifice. Nope, he didn't do that. <laughs> right? He said, the Lord will provide. And so the story goes, he gets to the top of the mountain, Greg, um, my friend from up at Northlands, preached this message here at DCF not too long ago about how the sacrifice, while Abraham and Isaac were coming up this side of the mountain, the provision for the sacrifice was coming up the other side of the mountain. It's an interesting way to think about it, right? And so, and we're gonna, this is kind of what the scripture is talking about. Um, after everything happens, he goes to kill Isaac, and Hebrews elaborates on this and says he, was, he knew that even if he killed Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead because the promise God made was through Isaac. So that's that justification by faith. And again, we're going to talk about this next week. Where, where Abraham believed God, and the Bible says it was accounted unto him 
as righteousness. He believed God. He just believed God was truthful and he was faithful. If he said it, he meant it, which meant if he was going to kill Isaac and, and he, he kills Isaac, that is not the end of the story. So in order for that, for, for the promise to come to pass that he was going to have children as, you know, as, as big as this, all, all the sand on the seashore, if that was going to happen, Isaac couldn't stay dead. He was going to have to come alive. This is brilliant. So we know the story. Um, as he's getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, he looks over. There's a ram in the thicket, and he takes the ram and sacrifices the ram instead of Isaac, which Isaac was super pumped about. And then, and then after that, in verse 14, he makes this statement that kind of goes by the wayside sometimes if you're not paying attention. This is what he said. So Abraham called that place, that mountain, the Lord will provide. That's the name of that mountain, the Lord will provide. It's also Jerusalem. It's also Mount Moriah. It's also basically where the story of the whole New Testament and the Bible happens in this centralized place around Jerusalem, right? And so it was, he named it Yahweh Jireh or Jehovah Jireh is another version, another place in the Bible calls it. And so Jireh is an interesting word. So it literally, literally means provider. And so in the Septuagint, there was this translation as it was translated into Latin, there was this translation where it was, it, the root for it meant, um, was Latin was pro video. And so that's really interesting because pro means before or ahead, right? And video means to see. So before any conversation about money, before any conversation about tithing or New Testament giving or how you're going to give or how you're going to receive, before any of that happened, God reveals himself as the provider. And so you, the literal, go look this up. It's really fascinating. The literal idea was God sees your need before you need, before you need it and he has already provided for it. Now, that's a picture about money, resources, relationship, wholeness in your physical body, wholeness in your, in your relationships. That is a picture of everything and who God is in every way, and it's culminated in Hebrews. Why Hebrews goes after this so big is it's culminated in Jesus. So everything that you have need of, Peter talks about this, everything you have need of has already been given you, but it's been given you in Christ. The answer to all of your money problems is in Christ. <laughs> and that's hard to understand because we tend to separate the two. So tithing before the law, Abram, you know the story of Abram. He goes out, there's a battle because he's trying to rescue Lot. And he rescues him and he comes back. And the king of Jerusalem, again, the this, this same place that Ab Abram was sacrificing, the king of this area, um, the Bible says he was a priest of God. His name was Melchizedek. And so Abram comes back after slaughtering all the kings and slaughtering the armies with 300, I think it was 389 men from his family. He kills them all. He brings Lot back. He brings back all this, you know, uh, money and resources that he'd, he'd taken from the other kings. And the Bible says he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. So from that scripture, this is before the law, Abram gives a tithe, right? But here's the thing about that. No place in scripture does it say that Abraham was commanded to give a tithe or he demanded a tithe. It was a free will offering that Abram gave because he was, he, he was worshiping God and he saw a priest of God. And so he takes 10% of his income, the income from that, you know, what happened. And he gives it to this man as a free will and a thank offering to the God that this man served as a priest. Jacob was another person that was mentioned about tithing. Uh, Abraham's grandson. The promise came through Isaac, obviously. And he promised, when he, when he had the encounter at, at Bethel, he promised that everything, that if God would be with him, everything he got, he would bless God with. Which was 
the opposite of the way we normally think about that God provides, um, and then I will give, <laughs> right? So he said, if God provides, then I will give, which is a little bit sneaky, and if you know anything about Jacob, that was in, in context of who he was until God really changed his heart. But the whole idea behind this, again, is not one single time was he commanded or was there a demand to give a tithe. He gave it as a free will offering, and in this sense, he was a little bit... Um, a little bit sideways in the sense that he was actually trying to manipulate God with this tithe. It's, it's fascinating. So no other place does the Bible talk about with any of the patriarchs that they were commanded to give a tenth. There was no compulsion, if you will, for that to happen. So now we move into the law, right? The concept of first fruits, the Bible talks about when you start giving, God said, from the first fruits, everything that you have, I want you to give. So that was uh, first and representative. In other words, it was, it was talking about God's primacy. It was saying, God, you are the one that has provided everything that I have. It was an acknowledgement in their first fruit saying, from the first crop, from the first, um, you know, the firstborn of the animals, I'm going to give the first to you. And that's really important. When, when Karen and I do our budget, Every month, I get paid monthly, which is really hard if, you, if you've ever been paid weekly. Um, so you have to budget. And so we, we budget, and, uh, and every month, the first check we write is our giving check. Now, we don't have to, and some of you guys are like, what's a check, right? <laughs> however you give it. Like, I, we, don't, we put it in the little box over here. But however you give your, 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 uh, from your income, from your increase, the whole idea for us is it's always first. Why? Because we want to acknowledge God in our life in that way. And it's representative, it's symbolic. And this started with tithing in the early, <clears throat> early part of the Bible. So tithing just means a tenth. It's from an old English word that means tenth. Um, we mentioned Abraham did it, Jacob did it. But there's a, there was a, a, a cultural, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. There was a, a, a cultural way to give, and tithing was from the culture. Mesopotamia, um, all these different areas, people, the people who weren't Israelites, they gave in the same way. As a matter of fact, the Assyrians did it. There's a, I have a, <clears throat> I didn't put it up here, but there's a Syrian Dictionary of the Orient Institute. This is from, from the University of Chicago. They have this listed, and it's referring to a 10% tax or a tithe on garments by the local ruler. It says the palace has taken eight garments as your tithe taken. They didn't ask for it. They took it, right? Uh, 11 garments as tithe on 112 garments. The sun god Shamash demands the tithe. Uh, four menus of silver, the tithe of the gods Bel, Nabu, and Nergal. I didn't, I didn't even know there were, was a Nergal god, but apparently he's in here, and you should tithe to him if you, if you ever meet him, right? So the tithe of the chief, the chief accountant has delivered it to the sun god Shamash. There, these are stories all throughout this, this region during that time of Abraham. So it looks like that what was happening, part of this was that Abraham was doing it because it was a cultural thing to do. And in some ways, that's how I started tithing. Not because I thought it was biblical, but because that was what I was taught to do. And so I just did it. It turned out God blessed me for it, and we'll get into that in just a second. But the thing that we, we don't realize is tithing was different in the, in the Old Testament. Um, it was tied and attached to the land. And this is something, again, because we're not a farming culture anymore that we miss this. But Deuteronomy 12.1 says, these are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land. The whole idea was God's going to give you a land that's going to be flowing with milk and honey. And because of that, he's going he's to tie your giving to the land, right? Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land is going to come. And it says, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, it's holy to the Lord. In other words, it belongs to the Lord. So you can't do 
tithing justice without mentioning Malachi 3. Anybody ever heard Malachi 3 when it comes to tithing? Ever felt beat up by Malachi? Like Malachi was a bully in the Old Testament, apparently, right? He wasn't. But Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? How dare you rob God? So if you have not tithed, you have robbed God. I said that. I I used to preach that because it was preached to me and I thought it was right. It goes on. Um, Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God? in tithes and offerings. And I was, I, man, I, that came to my heart. I was like, oh, thank God I'm tithing. I'm, out, I'm, I'm not under the curse because I'm tithing, <laughs> right? Which creates a whole other problem that I'm not even have time to get into. But here's the thing about that. Um, almost the entire book of Malachi, and especially these chapters, were about the priests, not you. They're about the Levites robbing God. They were supposed to bring the tithe into the storehouse so the, the priests um, and the Levites could have enough food. And we're going to get into why here in just a second. But this whole passage was talking to priests in, in the Old Testament, and it wasn't talking to the common person. And it's helpful to understand that because context is king. And I never understood that until I started reading the Bible for myself. And I'm like, I'm curious how New, the New Testament... Um, fulfills the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, dying on the cross for us in the New Testament. So why am I still under the law when it comes to giving? Right? So I was giving from a grateful heart. My heart was right in doing it, but my reasoning for doing it was all wrong. And I didn't know that. And so there were different kinds of tithes. There was Levitical tithe, or they call it the Levitical inheritance. And so it's 10% of the, of the Israelites' income. For them, that would have been the fruit and, and, the, you know, and their uh, animals. Numbers 18, 20 talks about it. And the reason why you gave a tithe to the, to the Levites was because they didn't get any land. I have a house with a half acre. <laughs> so I'm a different kind of priest. Turns out you're a priest too, in the, according to the New Covenant. And so everything changes. But these guys, because they were designed to represent God in the temple... They didn't have property. They didn't have, they didn't have anything that the rest of the tribes had. And so you had to bring a tithe to help support them. Then there was a festival tithe, or what I like to call the party tithe. <laughs> so this was for feasting and celebration. Deuteronomy 12 talks about this. There were seven feasts that were celebrated over three feast seasons in which every male Israelite was commanded to present himself. That means seven feasts, you had to go to the feast and party. You didn't have an option to, to not party in Israel, right? That should be a, a lesson to us. But in this feast, the tithes were eaten. They weren't just given, they were eaten. So this, again, was another 10%. Everyone ate portions of this tithes. And here's what's really interesting. They could exchange the tithe, this tithe for coin. If they had to travel too far to Jerusalem and they couldn't go, then God gave the option of taking this money or taking the tithe and transferring it to money, selling their goods, what they, the, the fruit from the ground and their animals, and, cre- and creating money, and they had to use the money for a party. This, read, go read it. It's fascinating. And they would invite everybody, especially people who couldn't afford it. It was a party. It, and all this is representative of who God is and what he wanted to do to celebrate in the land. And then lastly, there was a poor tithe. This was specifically for all the needy people in Jerusalem, including people who were not Israelites. So here's the Old Covenant giving synopsis. In the Old Testament, God's people were instructed 
to bring the first fruits of everything, crops, herds, etc., and that's in Numbers 18, they were offer sacrifices, pay two different tithes, which were 10% of their income, celebrate three annual feasts, they had to pay the, the poor tithe, they offer free will offerings, observe a Sabbath every seven years in which whatever, whatever they, if they bought land, they had to return it to, some, to the original owner. So in essence, this added up to being between 25 and 35% of their income. Who wants to tithe now? Right? So here's my point. <clears throat> so often, again, meaning well, we go after this stuff and we don't realize that there's so much of this that we have taken for granted and, and we have not paid attention to because we do, oftentimes we don't study Scripture for ourselves and we don't understand the new covenant. So now if we're giving, if we're not careful, there's an obligation, there's a constant obligation. Well, what happens? Because this is my question to people who talk about tithing, that you ought to tithe. My question to them is, what happens if you don't? Because according to the old covenant, if you didn't, if, if you did tithe, all the blessings came to you, if you didn't tithe, all the curses came on you, right? And so my question to you is what happens, what happens to you as a believer if you don't give? Do, you know, does everything that Jesus paid for on the cross, now is that taken away because you didn't give what you should have given? See the obligation? And that's the challenge. So what about new covenant giving? And I'm going to go through this pretty quick. So there's some general principles. One, work is vital. Um, the Bible Go read Paul. Paul was really, he really didn't have a whole lot of patience for people who didn't work. He didn't. <laughs> so it, the, there's one place, place that says, if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. And so he goes after this, this uh, 2 Thessalonians, listen to this. This is 3, six. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a pretty heavy in the name of, right? He's like celebrating this. We command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. He said, people who won't work for a living, I'm commanding you. He's talking about believers. I'm commanding you, stay away from them. That's hardcore, right? That's hardcore. So work is vital. Secondly, living by faith was never a financial concept. I was taught this in Bible college. I was taught this in the early days. We got to live by faith. Not one place is it talking about when it comes to money. Work was vital. God said, if you work, he said, if you've been stealing, quit stealing and, and work with your hands. Do something that, that creates an income to take care of your family. Living by faith was always in the context of faith in the finished work of Jesus, which is what all of tithing and all of giving and all of all the other stuff, everything, the symbolism of the Old Testament is pointing to the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross. Hebrews goes after it and it talks about tithing, it talks about priesthood, but it's really going after the finished work. Why? Because everything you need is found in Christ. Everything. Money, resources, health, everything's found in Jesus. He also, again, didn't, he didn't, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. He modeled this, because here's what he said. This is his boast. This is in 1 Corinthians 9, 15. But I've not used any of these rights, right of financial support, and I'm not writing this on the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to, to deprive me of this boast. What was his boast? Not one time did I ever take something from you. Every time I came to your city to preach the gospel, I did not receive anything from you. I worked hard to present the gospel to you. He was a tent maker, right? So 
Other thing is by grace, not law. No other chapter in the entire Bible uses the word grace more often than 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You know what it's talking mostly about? Money. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, I'm not commanding you. 2 Corinthians 8.10, and here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter, talking about giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. How can you tithe? How can you do 10% and also you have to decide in your own heart what you're going to give? They are contrary, right? Doesn't mean that you can't decide to give 10%. That's totally fine. But if you are obligated and commanded by Old Testament to tithe, then you are not deciding in your heart what to give. You are obligated and it's demanded of you. So there are some warnings and commands, especially when it comes to rich people. And by the way, you're rich people. <laughs> so, so don't like, oh, this is for Elon Musk. It is, but it's also for you. Um, avoid the love of money. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. The Bible says that the root of all evil is found in the love of money. Not money, but the love of it. Don't let your money make you arrogant. First Timothy talks about that. Avoid materialism. Again, Timothy, do good with your money and be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. Be content with what you have. So those are the, the challenges and the warnings for us with money, right? And then it goes in, and this is what I want to just really challenge you on. How should we give? According to the New Testament, what does the New Testament actually say about how we should give? So the first one is willingly. And I've been talking about this and leading up to this. If you're going to give a tithe, are you giving it willingly? Is 10% what you decided in your heart that you're going to give? Or is there some leftover from your early days as a believer having been taught, Malachi 3.8, that if you don't give, there's going to curse coming on you. So somewhere in your heart, there's, there's an, an unwillingness to give, but you're giving anyway. God is not, that's not making God happy. That's, that's a, please God, and we're going to get into that second. But here, let me just read this. I wrote this down because this is really important. Because this goes after the willingly. Under the old covenant, a man could bring his tithes to the storehouse, first fruit offerings of every increase, sin offerings, burnt offerings, wave offerings, sheaf offerings, drink offerings, meal offerings, peace offerings. He could systematically, continually, unswervingly bring countless animals, innumerable sacrifices, and rivers of blood year after year into the tabernacle. But when he finished, he had not given a thing. Now think about that for a second. Why? Everything that he brought was required. It was all God's to start with, and God demanded every bit of it. No giving, just obligation. Still want to tithe? <laughs> the new covenant, on the other hand, did not free us from the obligation to give. And this is important. This is why it's willingly. You should give, but you should do it willingly. The new covenant didn't free us from the obligation to give, to sacrifice, to worship with thanksgiving, but it did free us to give. It freed us for the first time in God's revelatory history to give to God. So that's the difference. The obligation versus a willingness to give from a heart of thanksgiving to God. 
willingly. Second Corinthians talks about this. I'm not going to read all these scriptures. We don't have time. But, but the second way how we should give is generously. I will read a little bit of this. Uh, second Corinthians, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, if you're, if you're willing and you're generous, what you're going to do is you're going to see that generosity increase and you're going to see it touch lives. Cheerfully was the other one. And this is important. So why the obligation, if you've been tithing and, you, and your mindset has been from the old covenant and the obligation of it, you're not going to give cheerfully. You can't because there's something in your heart that says God requires, of this, requires this of me and I don't have an option, right? So cheerfully, 2 Corinthians 9, we've all heard this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Each of you should give what you have decided, Right? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you ever feel compulsion to give, don't give. Ever. Especially in a church. Don't ever give. So he goes on. He says, for God loves. Why all that? Why not obligation? Why don't give under compulsion? Because God's heart, his love, is for a person who gives to him willingly and cheerfully. Right? systematically, 1 Corinthians 16, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So it goes on, talks about proportionally, same scripture, in keeping with your income, right? There's another passage um, that says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means, Again, according to your means, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Remember the, the widow who gave the, the, the small amount and, and Jesus celebrated her? The, the, the thing had nothing to do with the money, had everything to do with the heart. Systematically, or sorry, proportionally, that just means give accordingly to your income. Sometimes secretly. Matthew talks about that. There are times when you should just not tell a soul what you're doing. Recently, we had somebody um, who had some challenges in their finances. It didn't devastate them, but it created a problem, and they're praying into that. Oh, Lord, this, this is challenging. Didn't see this coming. You know, it was just one of those things that happened. And, and, and while that was going on that I didn't know about at the time, actually, someone else came to me and says, hey, Dave, um, we've been praying and feel like we should give this amount of money to this couple. And I said, oh, that's awesome. So I took the money. And uh, um, I went to give it to them, and then they told me the story. And they're like, this is unbelievable. And what I love is not a single person knows who that person was. Why? Why, why is it so awesome to do that secretly? Because it takes, it takes it away from being ego-driven or egocentric or self-motivated at all. And it puts it in this place of a heart that wants to bless and help and give and, and do it from a, from a heart that is like God's heart. Because God is a giver, Right? So give secretly. So here's the other, other thing that Scripture talks about. Where should we give? I mean, what does the New Testament say about this? So the first one is to the expenses of a local church. First Corinthians, again, if you want to read a lot of this, it's in Corinthians. Because they were asked questions about how they should do things, and Paul's answering their questions. And he talks about himself, and he says, Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing life, wife along with us, as do other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas or Peter? Who, ser who serves as a soldier at his own expense? I was in the military, and, uh, and I had to wear a uniform, but I didn't pay for it. You paid for it. Thank you for your service. <laughs> 
You also paid for some ridiculous stuff that we bought that we're like, why in the world did we spend $10,000 on a desiccant restoring device when we had all the desiccant we ever needed? And the answer is because if we didn't spend that money, we didn't get that money next year. Welcome to the government, <laughs> right? It's a bad way to do it, but my point is I didn't have to pay any of that money for my for my uniforms, for that silly desiccant device, for any of the missiles that I worked on, for any airplanes, I didn't have to pay anything, right? I did not have to pay to also serve. And this is what Paul's talking about. The expenses of the local church ought to be covered by the local church. This is the way it works. He goes on, he talks about um, the ox. He says, even in the law of Moses and even in an inferior uh, testament, um, it said this, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. In other words, if you muzzle the ox, you'll get more work out of the ox, right? For about three days, and then you get a dead ox, right? So there was a, an old saying, it's like, uh, talked about pastors. Um, if, you, if, you just, if you didn't pay them too much, then they were forced to live by faith. I think I've covered that already, right? And it's a really horrible way to have a pastor, <laughs> right? I remember when I was coming here, and, and my, my uh, salary was being discussed, there was, you know, again, you're trying to figure out the best way to do that. And one of the ways is you take the local area and you see what other churches are giving. So there's a bunch of ways to do it. Uh, there's scriptural, obviously, context. But the question that, that one of the leaders up at Northlands came and brought was, um, do you want Dave worrying about money, spending his time worrying about how he's going to pay his bills, or do you want Dave's time spent on equipping you and releasing you to your inheritance? Which one would you like to, him to be doing? <laughs> so, Pay him enough is what scripture goes after. There's another place that says that the, that the, the pastors or the shepherds who, who work in teaching and they do a good job in that, you should, you should give them double honor, which is not honor, it's money. Give them double salary is what it's going after. So there's a whole big thing about, about the equippers of the ministry, but also creating the ability to impact the world around you and meet needs, and so we'll go into that. Apostolic ministry um, this was supporting local needs. Acts talk, talked about uh, people would sell their property from time to time, put it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles would distribute it to the people who had need. Another thing about apostles or apostolic giving is offerings between churches, which I think is beautiful. Romans talks about that. He said, uh, Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. These other churches were serving Jerusalem's ability to meet the needs of the poor. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Another apostolic ministry is travel, sustenance, and ministry. In October, we're having um, one of the pastors from Bosnia. We've been supporting Bosnia for ever, like 40 years or something like that, um, one form or fashion. Um, but we've been supporting them financially, sending that over to help ministry, uh, help their ministry. He's the, one of the pastors is going to be here in, in October. It's going to be a good time. And that may be a, a, a time where we step up and start going back physically to minister into Bosnia, which we've done in the past. And this is the way that you do that. Again, not at, your, not at the person's expense. The apostles didn't pay for their own travel. Somebody else paid for their travel. Why? Because you can't muzzle the ox. So it goes after that. Um, another way is Holy Spirit promptings. Acts 4.32 talks about this. This is one of the most beautiful things in the world where the Lord comes to you and says, hey, I want you to give that person $100. Um, Karen and I sometimes will we'll, um, put in our budget, we'll pray and say, Lord, Tell us this month somebody that we could really help and bless. 
and we'll set aside money that's different from what we already give so that we can bless those people. And oftentimes what we do is we hand it to one of the other elders or somebody else, and we say, hey, would you give this to them? Or we find a way to bless them without them knowing that it was us who did that. Um, Somebody gave me one time at one of the toughest times in my life. Y'all heard my story. In 2010, Karen and I moved to Atlanta. We had been making six figures in our income. We uh, moved to Atlanta, and within three to six months, we were basically homeless. Now, we weren't homeless in the sense we were living under a bridge. We were homeless in the sense we could either go back to uh, Destin, where we'd been living, or Birmingham, or family. So we had a lot of resources somewhere else, but not there in Atlanta. But the Lord said, if you come here, I'll bless your family. And it really wasn't looking like it, (laughs) right? And so in the midst of all this, I'll keep the story short. In the midst of all this, um, the pastor came down one Sunday morning when I was in a massive pity party. and He said, hey, somebody left you a check on my desk. And I was going to tell you after the service, but I'm going to tell you now. And um, he said, it's $5,000. So to this day, I don't know who did it. I suspect a few people. <laughs> but I don't, know who, I don't know who did that. And so it, it changed our lives. Not because the $5,000 was so amazing, although it was, especially when we needed to put tires on the car and things like that. But it was because God saw my need, because that was the thing that took away from it. The whole time I was in my pity party complaining about not having enough, someone had provided, ultimately God had asked someone to provide for me $5,000. And it was sitting on the desk the whole time I was complaining about not having what I needed. I find that very ironic, and I think the Lord just laughed, honestly, right? And it was helpful, because again, this was a Holy Spirit prompting. Nobody said, you should give to Dave. Somebody just felt the Lord say, there's a need, would you meet it? Holy Spirit promptings are awesome. Our families, um, this is something we obviously know, 1 Timothy 5.8. Anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives or their own family, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Take care of your own family, right? Our testimonies, Romans 13.6-8 through 8 says, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. I know that is hard to believe in our day and age, but some of them are. <laughs> who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. Honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding. In other words, pay your bills because it's a testimony to who you are as a believer. So let me close with this, two things. Giving in the New Testament is not an obligation to obey, but an opportunity to take advantage of. 2 Corinthians 8, I'm not commanding you. Here's my advice. Each of you should give what you have decided. Again, it's not, it's not an obligation to obey, but it's an opportunity to take advantage of. God says, I've created a way to do this, that if you do it my way, you get my results. You do it any other way, who knows? But if you do God's thing God's way, you get God's results. <clears throat> so here's the best way to illustrate this. Imagine a teenager coming to his father and saying, Dad, how much, should I, how much should I pay or how much should I spend on your birthday gift? What would you as a father say to him? Well, everything you have is something I gave you anyway, so does it matter? Right? That's one, one thing to say, which is probably what I would say. <laughs> but isn't that awkward? Isn't it awkward for a father now to have to tell his son, well, 10% of your income, son, will be fine. Right? You know I provide everything. <laughs> See, how, see where this is going? But wouldn't it be better for, I mean, think about it. 
what he really longs for, what a, real, a father really longs for, is not giving him a, an amount, but a heart that's not selfish, and a heart that loves others, and a heart that honors him as a father, a heart that loves him. So should it be costly? The answer is yes, it should, right? Why is it when you get married, uh, when I got married, I bought a wedding ring. I sold my really expensive um, motorcycle with a lot of chrome. It had a lot of chrome. <laughs> and I bought Karen a ring, and I expected it to be bigger. If I'm honest, I expected that little diamond to be, you know, at least be able to see it. And that's when I learned that girl, in, girl economy and boy economy, not the same thing at all, right? But I also, it, it needed to be valuable, right? Why? Because it was symbolic. It, was it my love? No, but it was, it was symbolism. Second thing is this. God's favor and bless, blessing is on us because it proceeds from the cross. But we get a chance, or sorry, a choice on how we administer his favor on our finances. Listen to Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given. This is God's way. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You get to choose what your harvest looks like. This is just the truth. 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. How much seed determines the harvest? Imagine, again, as an illustration, saying to a farmer, I think you're just planting these 10 acres so that you can reap a harvest. <laughs> right? That, I'm surprised that you would miss that, right? Of course that's what I'm doing. So, so you know, give it, when people say, well, you shouldn't give expecting a harvest. Yes, you should. 100% you should. It's what the Bible teaches. If you give sparingly, that's, how, that's what your harvest looks like. People complain all the time. They'll come to me and go, I just don't understand. I'm always struggling with money. I'm like, how much do you get? Well, let's not talk about giving, Pastor Dave. Well, maybe we should. I'm just saying. I'm struggling relationally. I feel all alone. I feel isolated all the time. Have you, have you connected into our community groups? Well, I just don't have the time. You have the time to be lonely. <laughs> Sorry, I, didn't, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> it's called pastoral sarcasm. I can't help it sometimes. <laughs> Galatians 6, I better get back to the Bible. Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, this is not talking about, um, we're going to go into this next week. We're not talking about um, the gospel. We're not talking about grace. We're not talking about that. It's talking about in the sense that what you sow you're going to reap. It's helpful to understand that. And Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. There's a causal element in your giving. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. This is going back to the Old Testament version of it. With all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So the same thing is true. The same concept is true. God's heart is nothing you have was yours anyway. I love it when people say, I invented this. No, you didn't. It was there all the time. People were like, we discovered. That's maybe a better phrase. Everything that we have need of has already been here. We, we discovered nuclear fission, right? But it was there all along. We discovered, um, you know, uh, uh, antibiotics. They were there all the time. We're discovering new things in medicine. We're discovering new things in technology. They were there all the time. God has already provided. And this is the thing you need to understand. God shows himself in the very beginning, the first thing, God shows himself as a provider. And the way you get provision is acknowledging the provider. 
That's the, God's intent was never that it would be a system removed from him. And this is why it's so important to understand new covenant giving, it has nothing to do with money and has everything to do with money. But the nothing to do with money part has everything to do with everything you have need of. Seek first the kingdom. Everything you need, God will give it to you. Seek first the kingdom, the causal element. Seek the kingdom first. Lean into kingdom. Lean into who Jesus is because everything you have need of has been given to you in Christ Jesus through your relationship with Jesus. The fact that Jesus paid for your sin, it's all gone away. And now there is nothing between you and the Father. Now you can come to him and say, God, I want to give. And this is what we've noticed. When Karen and I were 2010, um, again, we ended up with nothing. We lost all of our savings, everything. And we never, even in that time, we never stopped giving. Never. We've been giving since we were 20 years old. We, we started out giving a 10% because that's what we thought. And people say, well, where do I start to give? Start wherever you want. Decide in your heart is what Scripture says. But here's what we did. We said, in the old inferior covenant, covenant 10% was a starting point, right? Turns out it was 23%, but I'm just going by what I was taught. <laughs> but 10% was something to start with, right? And, and, and the Old Testament made it all about obligation, but the New Testament says, just decide in your heart what you want to give. Set aside weekly, or for, in our case, monthly, we do it. Set aside. Why? Because we know this, that as we acknowledge who God is in our life, as we celebrate Him, as we give to the kingdom, because again, God has no need of your money or the cattle on a thousand hills, even though it all belongs to him. Everything about giving is about doing God's thing God's way. And it opens up heaven's floodgates for finance into your life, but it also allows the kingdom to move forward and for mission to happen, for new people to find Jesus, for the believers to receive and be equipped to walk in the fullness of their inheritance in Christ. Does that mean you have nice houses? Sometimes. Does it mean you have nice cars? Sometimes. Some, Paul said, I'm, I've learned to be content because sometimes we have good times and sometimes we have bad times, right? But I've never, and this is what David said, I've never, ever seen God's people forsaken. Never, ever seen God's, and that's our story, and I want that story to be yours as well. So give. God talks about giving, but don't do it under an obligation the way we were, some of us were taught. Give from a place in relationship with God saying, Lord, talk to me about my money. Talk to me about finance. Talk to me about the struggles or the challenges I have with it. Challenge me if I'm connected and starting to love money than I, more than I should. Open up my heart so that money never has hold of me, but I can use money for the kingdom's sake. Amen? Would you stand? I appreciate you guys. Um, as we go into some of this stuff, I know this can be really challenging. And I appreciate your heart to just have an open heart, to hear it, and open mind to listen. And I want to challenge you, like the Bereans, go back and study Scripture. I, I put these in the PDF you can download from our website if you go to our messages. I put Scripture references in there. You can go and look at all the context, and you can go deep. Um, what I would challenge you to do is, is to read and study. If there's something that challenges you, go look into it. But at some point, at some point, you ought to give. You ought to do God's thing, God's way. Why? So that you can have God's result. So Jesus, we just say thank you, Lord, that everything we have need of, Lord, ultimately is found in you. So Lord, thank you that you took away everything that would be in the way of my relationship with my heavenly Father. So Lord, we just say thank you for that. Thank you for your great sacrifice. Lord, if there was ever a generous gift, it was you. 
And so we just say, Lord, thank you that you are the epitome of generosity. Lord, teach us how to be like you, and to be generous so that we can see your kingdom come on earth even as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen. If you had needs this morning, we'd love to lay hands on you, pray for you. We promise not to shake you too hard. <laughs> but we'd love to pray for you this morning if you have a need. Our team will be up here. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.